Welcome to Fintech Insider. This is a special edition State of the Union show coming to you live from the Southeast Fintech Venture Conference in Charlotte, North Carolina. We're in Uptown Charlotte, which is basically Downtown Charlotte, which, Matt, you're from here. Why do they call it Uptown? Uh, Apparently, it's because it's the highest point in town. Okay, that's stupid. Um, (laughs) Anyways... Um, I want to thank Dan Rosselli and the QC FinTech team and everyone at Packard Place. Packard Place is one of my personal favorite tech hubs. I used to visit it all the time. Uh, Matt, your second question, why do they call Charlotte the Queen City? Uh, I was named after Queen Charlotte. Oh, my God. You know. Two for two. All right. Every every question goes to That's Matt. all I have. I'm originally from New York, so that's as good as I'm, you're going to get from Of Germany. Good. Of Germany. Well, that's pretty good. Queen Charlotte of Germany? Rami, dropping knowledge. That's excellent. Let's hear from our guests so we know all these voices that we're talking about. Um, first one, and oh my God, I'm never going to get all these these last names right. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Rami, Sarah Gildan. Wow. Close enough. Yeah. Really? Say it. Say it, Rami. Saragadeen. Okay, he's Rami from here on out. <laughs> sounds, sounds better when he says it. It does. It Amazing. You know, I watched YouTube like five times and wrote it down and it's not going to happen. But Rami's the co-founder and CEO of HoneyFi. I love that. Who came up with the name, Rami? Uh, GoDaddy. So we were able to find Seriously. it. Seriously. So, <laughs> now we, we looked for different ones and uh, that one was available. I like, I like the name HoneyFi. Look at the last, uh, look at the last uh, text I sent my wife. Please. What is it? Nice. What's it say? It, was, it says, it says, check out HoneyFi. Helps couples share info about finances. I'm going to check it out for us. That is a that is a shout out from the. She did not respond though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's but she's I really, looking. I really, really, really liked it. <laughs> yeah, Rob's wife's going HoneyFi. Uh huh. Yeah, um, Rami. So again, co-founder and CEO of HoneyFi. You were also the COO at Moving. I was. Yep. So you got a great background in building companies that have been successful in this space. Yeah, I've been lucky. Been part of good teams. And based here in Charlotte. Uh, currently now in Charlotte. Yep. All right, so next guest is Rob Frowine. Rob, did I say I that got, closely yes, right? You got it right. I, I phonetically spelled it. on stage, which is fine. I mean, I'm just happy if people give a, you know, a good college try. <laughs> I gave it a great college try. Rob is go. the CEO and co-founder of Cabbage. Um, you've had a pretty good month. You've had a good year, I think it's safe to say. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a good year. Years are going by quickly. That's why I have so little hair and what's left is gray. But um but yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting year for sure. Two hundred million in equity funding from Credit Suisse recently. No, that was not equity. That was debt. Debt. No, that was debt. Which is important. Different. That's important when you're in the money business. Uh, you're always looking for inventory. That's what I'd like to say. And um, yeah, we raised. Uh, it was a two hundred million dollar warehouse. We just announced last week. We had raised uh, two hundred fifty million from SoftBank. We announced that back in August. So basically, drinks are on Rob when we leave here. <laughs> Based in Atlanta, right? We are based in Atlanta. That's correct. And true or false, you studied law at Villanova? That's that's true. Studied. Studied. <laughs> Practice, studied. <clears throat> we'll move Studied. Right. Uh, actually, studied probably is not the most accurate term for what I did in law school. <laughs> Attended classes occasionally. Maybe also not terribly. No, no, no. I practiced law for a number of years, but... Uh, but uh, I don't practice now. Uh, two lawyers are going to be at this. Well, yeah, that's safe to say. Two people that study law are going to be um, on this podcast, folks. Next is Matt. Oh, God, Matt. Matt Pater? Pateri. Pateri. You're close. You're close. All right. CEO of Sunlight Financial. One, a great name. What is Sunlight Financial? We are a residential solar finance company. So we help customers go solar by providing them finance. And see, I absolutely, we talked about this before the show, how much I love it. Because I live in Florida. And also how ticked off I am that as a private citizen, I'm not allowed to sell the solar energy 
I collect, which annoys the tar out of me. But we can talk about that. That sounds good, yeah. Actually, one of our um, non-executive directors with 11FS is Lisa Gansky, who's with Mosaic in the same space out in San Francisco. That's right, yeah. All right, and our last guest, Alexandra Villarreal O'Rourke. From Mexico, though, originally. I love that name. Yeah, O'Rourke is very, very Spanish. Yes, you know, it's an ancient Spanish. No, my, that's my husband's name. Uh, mine, is, mine is Villarreal. Which is a great football team, by the way. My, my beloved Arsenal. That is where oh, my family's right. from, from Villarreal. Yeah, multiple. Arsenal, you're talking about, right? That's my son's favorite. Oh, you yeah. are my favorite guest ever on this there show. Yes. Yeah, I'm a diehard Arsenal fan. Um, Alexandra, Alex, right? Alex. Yeah, my, mm-hmm. my youngest daughter's name is Alex, so this is great. It is a good name, isn't it? You are a financial services partner, fintech practice group co-leader at McGuire Woods LLP. Oh, my God, it's a mouthful. <laughs> in D.C.? Uh, here in Charlotte, here in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you do? I advise fintech companies and banks on tech regulatory issues um, of all sorts. I, um, including, you know, hopefully sort of preventative, just getting things right, and then if not, you know, litigation and enforcement and other. Is maybe like cabbage a client? Maybe I, you know, can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> maybe some of the companies sitting at this table went to Harvard. Yeah, that's right. And we're going to get Where into is this. That? Harvard, yeah, you know, that's school. Usually when people go to Harvard, they say, I studied in Boston. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. And Mexicans, and and Mexico is, uh, you know, it's a big big deal, right? It's a big deal here, too, I think. Yeah, it's a big deal. Well, what we're going to love, because we're going to get into this um, in the second segment of the show when we talk about the news. But, um, Alex, what I like about you, you were with the State Department Mm -hmm. for a time, and you've also been with the CFPB. I have. Yes. Yes. <laughs> in the Indeed. news a little bit lately, and we'll touch I on that. I've gotten a lot of calls on it in yeah. the last three days. We'll touch on that in the second half of the show when we talk about news. But really what we'd like to do in the first part of the segment of the show, the first 20 minutes or so, is really talk about the Southeast. Um, and one of the things I love about doing this podcast, um, our FinTech Insiders is out of London. We all know about London when it comes as a tech hub. London and Silicon Valley will argue, in New York will argue all day on, you know, who's the biggest, right? Is it them? Is it Singapore, Hong Kong? And, and they have a leg to stand on when it comes to that. Charlotte's interesting. And, and the south of the U.S. is interesting. I worked in Atlanta for about 10 years in the 90s. I watched Atlanta change drastically, right? Um, Rob, I'm guessing you spend your entire life in a car on either 285. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not true. I think that, that's, a, that's just a nasty rumor. It's not. You're, not for me. I mean, I don't. I, it's only about 15 minutes each way. Is your Sorry. office like downstairs at your house? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you just got to geographically locate, you know, within yeah. some reasonable distance. Yeah, that's the secret to living in Atlanta, right, is be very, very close to work. But I watched Atlanta in the 90s change drastically, right? And I remember in the 90s, they were talking about Charlotte was going to be, it was either going to be Charlotte or Atlanta that really rose up to be the, you know, the, the hub, if you will, or the tech hub in the South. Um, Matt, you, you're, I'm going to say you're probably the longest reigning resident here in Charlotte. At least you know what Queen City meant and all that other stuff. It's crazy to imagine that. Six years, and I'm uh, I'm a veteran here. I'm practically <laughs> a native at this point. <laughs> Except for people that live here, right? Yeah. They're like, where are you from? Yeah, no one, no one is from Charlotte. Yeah, that's like Florida where I live, right? No one's from there. 
Um, so how would you describe Charlotte, Matt, from a tech standpoint? We can start with fintech, but let's just go broader. How would you describe Charlotte? Yeah, so Charlotte is an easy place to live. It's an easy place to work. Um, when we founded, we founded our business up in, in New York, and we opened an operations center here, and we've been growing headcount here. So we were very intentional about choosing Charlotte. Um, you know, as a financial services company, having access to all the banks and the ecosystem around it just makes it easy to recruit talent. It's just a, it's just a good place to live. When we're, we're trying to get people to relocate, having them come to the warm weather in Charlotte and the nice people is, uh, is not a tough thing to do. So it's been, it's been a great place to be. Well, we see that where I live in Jacksonville, and Jacksonville is a tech hub when it comes to the big banks. So city has a massive, um, I think all their IT for the most part, you can live in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. No, no, I love you, Sioux Falls, for the three people that listen here. You can live in Sioux Falls, or you can live in St. Augustine, Florida, on the beach, right? Cost of living is nothing. I know that's the same here. Yeah, really. Really affordable. Yeah, Atlanta's that way, right, Rob? Atlanta's pretty, uh, yeah, it's very reasonable. I mean, relative to the Bay Area or, you know, lots of other areas from which we uh, attract talent. And that, that's a big deal for you, right? I mean, talent really is everything. You have Georgia Tech. I know that. We do have tech. Um, yeah, we have tech. We have Emory. We have Georgia State. We've got lots of schools. Um, very, very vibrant uh, community. It's actually been pretty incredible over the last five or six years, the number of tech companies that have really grown up. I mean, outside of you know even fintech, you've got companies like MailChimp and Ionic Security and Pindrop Security and all sorts, all sorts of great companies. Is it uh, a fight for talent on your end? I mean, because what is the the name of Transaction Alley, right? Is what they call it? Yes. Atlanta. Uh Yeah, with with ADP and Tesis and First Data and Take Your Pick. Yep. Is it a fight for talent for you with them or is it just... No, we, we got it. We got it way over them. <laughs> no, you know, the, the, the biggest thing is, you know, we like to attract talent from other places too to relocate to Atlanta. So we, uh, you know, we've actually built a whole deck. Why Atlanta? Um, just, yeah, yeah, we've done that in order to make sure that people understand all the benefits derived from, from living in Atlanta. That's a, you're the first person I've heard say that. Yeah, that's well, actually pretty cool. We, uh, yeah, we uh, we're nothing if not trying to be innovative <laughs> in the way we uh, way we go about everything. Cabbage dot com for your listeners. Um, Rami, you you've you live in Charlotte, but you've done New York, right? When you were moving, you've you've been there. What do you what do you see as the biggest difference? Let's get past the cost of living. Yeah, so I think um, it's interesting because in New York, working for a startup is a very normal thing. In the Valley, it's a very normal thing. So here, I think it's starting to become more normal. It's not the, oh, you're, you'll get a job soon. Like, no, this this is my job. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of working out. Um, so I think there's a bit of the mentality also that you have to get over when you're, when you're recruiting here. Um, but it's, as we start to have more and more success stories, that becomes easier and easier, especially in Charlotte with, with AvExchange and, and Sunlight obviously moving a lot of their, their folks here. So uh, I think that's for us what's interesting. The other is around bringing in the young people, and I'm doing air quotes uh, for that, is... If you say millennial, I throw my coffee at your head. It's banned on this uh, podcast. 24 to 35 years. No. Um, the, uh, <laughs> but I think it's also making it a destination for people coming out of school that... Charlotte isn't just a big company town. Like we, you can work for smaller companies that are doing more innovative things that have a better quality of life, and you actually feel like you're contributing to the company versus, and maybe the country, but uh, primarily the company versus just kind of a cog in a big organization. So I think when you start to sell people on that, they really come around. Yeah, I, th- I find that, I do find that interesting, right? Um, because we're at, a, we're at a conference today. That's why we're, we're all here. 
Um, again, we mentioned at the beginning the Southeast FinTech Venture Conference, this idea of bringing FinTechs together and venture capital um, in the same building. This is how I knew I was in Charlotte. I'm wearing <laughs> – we'll take a picture later. I'm in jeans, Nikes, and my dinosaurs eating a unicorn shirt, my favorite shirt. Everyone's in suits. Literally, this entire floor is in suits. No other conference you can go to, I don't think. Rob, have you been to another conference where, that looks like this? No. I, you know, I, I have a real, you know, look, I mean, I'm in jeans. Uh, I do. I did wear a button-down shirt. You have a button-down button shirt. Button-down shirt, but, you know, it's lipstick on a pig. What can I say? <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> I'm also self-deprecating if you haven't figured that out yet. Yeah. So, uh, so no, it, you know, it's really funny. I, I'm part of, um, I won't go into the details. I'm part of this group that's supposed to be a tech group and it's actually based in Atlanta. Uh, and I, and it, the meetings are at a very large company. Uh, and when I go there, uh, I'm the only one that's not wearing a suit. And when I go in there, they, um, give me, they gave, and the, the meetings happen once every couple of months. They give me a slip of paper and says, your assistant for the next hour and a half will be X. Wow. They literally assigned me assistant. I'm like, I don't really, I don't even have a full-time assistant at work. <laughs> like, come back with me, please. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's always amazing me. But no, most of the, you know, the conferences, the only place I wear a suit right now, unfortunately, is DC. That's where you got to still wear a suit. And I'm telling you, that has to fall. That that's the last. Well, there's lots of things in D.C. that need to fall. It's but. a great equalizer in D.C. You know, you can be from Arkansas or you can be from New York. You're all going to look like the same nerd. I think that's kind of why. What a great segue to Alex. Wow! Dude, wow! I mean, what a what a what a cop out. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Hey, I wore a suit. Of a suit. <laughs> wow! The defense of the suit. Let's make every. How about if we just institute like T-shirt and jeans? Everybody's got to. Does it have to be a suit? You know. That that was the greatest segue. <laughs> to, to Alex, because Alex, you're—I think you're the newest, right? To I'm the newest. To although I got to tell you, so I am involved in something called the Carolina FinTech Hub, which I'm sure you maybe no, no one heard about anybody. Um, so it's sure. a, it's a nonprofit uh, group that essentially fosters FinTech innovation here in the city. Um, it's sponsored by a couple of the banks, a couple of the larger FinTechs, and we launched this spring. And it's actually we've gotten a lot of interest, and I mention it because. What's, you know, it's funny because it, you do see at our events, you'll see half the people are wearing suits and half the people are wearing, you know, logo t-shirts, right, from their company. And that's what's great about Charlotte is that the people who are wearing suits are no longer seeing the people who are wearing the logo t-shirts as sort of, the, the, I mean, disruptors, but not in a sort of scary sense. They really are things, coming up to these folks and saying, what do you do? Do you partner with banks? You know, what kind of thing could you do for my company? And that's, I think that's what's valuable about Charlotte is at events like that, we really see kind of the old school, not only getting comfortable with the new school, but actually saying, what can we do for each other? Which is, you know, kind of fun. Yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting from your standpoint. So for the listeners who haven't figured out, the lawyer backgrounds would be Rob and Alex. Uh, thank, thank you very much. Yeah, you know, <laughs> from now on, you're the lawyer co-founder guy. Um, self-deprecating lipstick kind of pig lawyer guy. Um, but it, but it we have is a lawyer on our team too. You do. Have we don't hold it against him. Though. That's actually a good thing, right? Because I want to talk about that from a regulator standpoint. Because that's your background, that Alex. Is. Right? Mm -hmm. I know whenever I'm on a stage and I'm talking with fintech companies or giving them advice, I always start at. And by the way, your second hire should be your regulator. Should be your in-house counsels. Should be going down that path. So Rami's nodding at me. I'm interesting, Rob. Would you agree with that? Do you think we, we focus that that we've that some of the companies have learned their lessons and understand the importance on the compliance standpoint? 
Yeah, I think so. I, you know, I, he gave me a look. Everybody. Well, I, he look, gave I, me look, a look. I, I, I struggle. I struggle a little bit only because when you start up a company, um, look. Right now, I you know we're about to hire our sixth in-house attorney. Um, we have probably like set, you know seven law firms that do various types of work, and obviously have a regulatory firm. Uh, thank you very much, Alex. Um, <laughs> And uh, we also have, you know, we have, you know, lobbying group in D.C. and in various states. I mean, it's it's a huge expense. It's very hard. I mean, it's one of the one of the challenges, I think, for starting a brand new company in the fintech space is trying to reconcile the whole regulatory and legal side of it, because, um, you know, I mean, it should be, you know, all the all the language out there is about how it's how cheap it is to start a technology company now. Right. Because software and everything. But when you're doing it within a regulated environment, it's totally different. Um, and uh, I think folks are getting an appreciation for it. Um, I think there's I think it's actually even harder today uh, for startups uh, as they relate to the regulatory side, because, um, you know, I would I would argue that there was a lot of people paying attention to a lot bigger financial players back in 09 uh, when we started the company. So we weren't really on the radar um, so we could build our company. And, and, you know, now, fortunately, we have a very robust regulatory approach. Um, but, you know, it's really hard for a startup. So I'd be curious, Matt, because you're in an industry that, it, one, you're touching on the utility side, but also, you know, the, the tech side of this, the fintech yep. side of it. Um, when, you're, when you're looking at the regulatory and the compliance side from a utility standpoint, right? Yep. You seeing the same thing or is it still... Is that still yeah, kind of green-filled? It's, it's once removed from us. Um, so we interact, and our, our partners interact a lot with the utilities, um, but we think every day about consumer regs. And, and I, I agree with Rob. I mean, one of the things I think as a young company starts that's really hard is you, know, you, can, you can make your second or third hire an attorney, and that's fine. I think more important is to have founders who really understand what it's like to be a lender and understand the regulatory issues. I was actually a general counsel of a bank in, in a prior life. Bringing that so. in, it's just did, you, did you wear a nice suit? <laughs> a suit maybe not nice that's right no i own i for the record i own one suit and i and we have the only dress-up day we have is to our holiday party uh once a year and so it's this been the same suit for the last five years so there you go so i, I have three for my consulting days but my the left for my consulting days but my daughter about a month ago, took toothpaste and ran it across all of them. So, <laughs> and that's a problem. Why? It's time to let it go. No, so basically, and stop I was wearing like, the jacket. It's frustrating, but oh well. <laughs> does, does toothpaste not come out? Not very well. Well, I also didn't see it for like a week. Well, was it like teeth? It was it like teeth whitening toothpaste? <laughs> it was. It was Your half favorite, kids. Uh, wide lapel, double-breasted suit. Totally. It was my Olive my Johnny Cochran. You know. Like. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so so we kind of see if I'm hearing this right. Atlanta's pretty established, right? I mean, it, it it's it's got its its mark. Would you say Atlanta's really the from a fintech standpoint or finance standpoint the capital of the South, or would you argue with that? Oh, of of the United States, I would say. Oh, wow. I don't know about that. Wow. Well, from a transaction standpoint. <laughs> yeah, right? you know what? Yes. Look, I you know what? Look, is it the capital? I don't know, but I know it seeks to be. Um, I'm on the fintech Atlanta task force, whatever that, you know, that and three bucks buys you a coffee at Starbucks, I guess, but, um, not even a good one. You know, I mean, it's certainly striving to be, but I, I really do believe that uh, I think a lot of people are, are confused about the, the term fintech, right? Because a lot of the payments companies, and I have a lot of respect for them, but that's not new technology, right? That's not new technology. So the, so 
the of the new you know fin you know financial services technology oriented companies you know where you know where does you know where do different cities play and I think that's going to be really what's going to define folks you can't just say hey we have a lot of banks so we're a fintech center in Charlotte or we have a lot of payments companies so we're a fintech in Atlanta it's about really backing that up with sort of the latest best of breed companies out there. So, Alex, from your standpoint, I find it interesting, right, bringing that experience from D.C. Every time I see D.C., Rob winces, by the way, which I think is very, very funny, right? Yeah, Rami it's it's just, more of a twitch. <laughs> yeah, he's got a nervous twitch. Rami just rubs his head, and, and Matt looks out the window and cries. Um, and we're going to talk about this when we come out of the break, right? Because I, I think three out of four people at this table – well, there's five people at the table. All right, I'm not an engineer. Damn it. Four out of five. No. It's hard to tell if you were counting yourself or not counting yourself. I literally never count myself. So four of the five people at this table, I think, are going to say, and I'm speaking for all of us, that the pendulum kind of swung pretty far when it came to compliance and, and regulation. All right. Um, we're, we're, we're coming up in 2018. We're recording this in the back end of 2017. So we are a good 10 years outside of that wonderful period of time when Rob decided to found a company. Good on you for doing that. Um, but Alex, I'm going to be really curious when we come out of the break to talk about your experiences at the CFPB, mm -hmm. right? And and being on that side of, of the pendulum, right? Being the pendulum? Yeah. I th what, being the pendulum. Pushing yeah. the pendulum? Is that what you're doing? <laughs> being the hammer. Good way to put it. Right. I think that's a great way um, to put it. And when we come out of the break, that's where we'd really like to jump into a little bit. We'll talk about some of the stories that are relevant right now. And, and I think how they apply, and I think it's really interesting for Matt and Rami, right? You both have younger companies that you're starting up. Rob, you're considered a success story. Just go with it. You are. Um, and, you know, so we have, we got a little bit of an evolution of, of companies' life spans, right? And, and the regulatory side and how it plays. So when we come out of the break, that's where we're going to start. In the meantime, let's all go get a drink and then let's hear from our sponsors. The Financial Times guides you through complex issues. In divisive times, don't settle for black and white. When you need the full perspective, turn to FT.com. Become a subscriber today. Search for FT subscription. Fintech innovation is changing the way we bank. And the speed we deploy new customer experiences is vital. Onboarding the right fintech partners can take months. Do you have time to lose? Introducing the Innovation Acceleration Platform from Temenos. Test fintech solutions at speed with real data straight from the core banking system. With a yearly subscription, you can begin testing the same day and create new customer experiences in no time. For more details, visit marketplace.temenos.com. Welcome back to Fintech Insider State of the Union show, recording from Charlotte, North Carolina. It is uptown, which is downtown Charlotte. We've established that. We had a great break. Rob spilled Coke literally Diet all Coke. over. Just Diet for Coke. the record. Okay. Diet Coke. For his wife. And uh, we've talked about how to remove toothpaste from a suit with Rami. That was a fascinating conversation. Thank you, Rami. Listeners, you can give us your hints. Um, send them to fintechinsiders.com. We'd appreciate it. Um, we... Coming out of this break, one of the things we want to talk about, because I'm, I'm incredibly happy that we have Alex as a guest, because this is firsthand experience. We're not talking theory. You, you worked at the CFPB for three years, I believe? Three years. Mm -hmm. All right. So, I mean, this isn't stuff we've read. This is firsthand experience. And, and I want to talk a little bit about your time there and the changes that are coming. Because, again, with, you know, the three, you know, founders that we have sitting at the table are all impacted. And, Matt, we talked about this. Even in, you know, the solar utility space, you're under the 
the guidelines, right? Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're lenders. All right. So, I mean, all, all three of you are affected by this, but your experience over the past three years, because um, what I want to read is a story. So change happens, right? We had an election last year um, and, you know, we've talked about Dodd-Frank and some of the other things, but we've just with the recent news that um, the resignation at that's coming up, I believe, at the CFPB and for our listeners over in Europe, but I apologize. What, what is the CFPB? So it's the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and it uh, regulates essentially bank and non-bank lenders um, for, but, but for consumer issues, for the most part. So President Trump has tapped uh, the Office of Management and Budget Director Mike Mulvaney as the interim head um, with the resignation announcement that came. And so these are some of the quotes. He's a former congressman from South Carolina. He used to live there. He's been a pretty fierce critic. While he was in Congress, this is some of his statements for the organization that you, you worked at. Um, Rob, Rami, Matt, I'm just turning your mics off because we're going to let Alex go on, on our mini rant here. Whew. But he has Party literally, time. <laughs> yeah, he's, he just poured another Diet Coke all over his shirt. All right. Um, so Mike Mulvaney has said that CFPB is a sad, sick joke. One of the most offensive concepts, I think, in representative government. We have created the worst kind of government entity. And this is going to be your interim head of that organization that you've left recently. So one, how would you respond to that? And what would you, what would you say about your time at the CFPB so, that you're allowed to say? Yeah, we, I get that. I, I know you signed. Um, so it's hard for me to respond because I, I had a very super interesting experience at the CFPB. Um, a lot of my job really was to try to get regulation right, but to try to get tech regulation right specifically. So I had a very, I think kind of a, unique and kind of odd experience and that really the folks I was working with, you know, when they didn't understand something, they owned up to that. Uh, when they wanted to learn it, they sought out folks like, you know, the people at this table for uh, conversations. Um, they were at big tech conferences talking to people about their models and talking to people about their fears and how regulation was I can second you know, that, by the way. Them. It was fantastic. You know, there yeah. was a whole bunch. We had great relationships with a right. bunch, Dan, and other people exactly. at, at CFPB. Project Catalyst, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's a big statement. Um, so, you know, it was, I think I had maybe, and look, you know, you could say that it was a myopic view, but my job was to get it right, to get tech regulation right. Um, and, you know, I worked with a lot of people that could have been doing a lot of more profitable things, some real true believers and some really smart people. Um, I think, unfortunately, there, you know, obviously uh, the agency has has a lot of political touch points um, and <laughs> and has a lot of, uh, has, you know, frankly made a lot of enemies, right? And, and gone after a lot of industries that, uh, in, in controversial ways. But I, I, I would say that when it came to fintech, um, I've, I've yet to meet somebody, and, and I've met a lot of people that are very unhappy with the Bureau. Those quotes, you know, would pale in comparison to what I've heard um, from some folks. I, I have to tell you that I've yet to meet somebody in tech that feels 100% like they were, you know, completely run over by the Bureau. Even, even folks who've been the subject of enforcement actions have said it, it was terrible and I feel like they got it wrong, but, you know, I feel like they, they you know, made an effort. I feel like they tried to understand my market. I, you know, I've, I've yet to hear somebody in tech say, you know, completely, you know, hands down, that place is terrible. So, when was it? Uh, 2010, 2011. So, you know, it's new ish. Uh, <laughs> but it's so, if I'm not mistaken, Rob, 
pretty much around the time you founded your company. I think it was our fault. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Um, no, yeah, right, right around the same time. And we actually engaged pretty early. They, they had, you know, there's, there was sort of a, and correct me if I'm getting the vernacular wrong, Alex, but there was an enforcement division, but there's really a sort of research information yeah, division. Yeah, right, exactly. And that, we, we engaged with that group quite a bit, and we actually became, you know, friendly is, is maybe a strong term, but it might not be. We actually be, got to know and provided as much information and got a lot of information back and actually invited uh, the CFPB. I'm part of a group called the CFDR, which is focused on data rights. And CFP, CFPB has been a leader in trying to um, you know, let banks know that they need to provide data access for their customers, provide data to third parties. And we're really appreciative of that. We actually had the CFPB come in and speak to our group. Um, that's led by um, a whole bunch of people, um, uh, including Anil uh, Aurora from Yodli and others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been great, very helpful. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't want to paint rose-colored glasses. Like, I wouldn't say that. You know, part of my job, frankly, was to work with enforcement attorneys on on legal theories that I might have disagreed. Or, you know, that that I wanted to sort of work through, and we've had some interesting discussions. Uh, so I, I don't want to say that I that I don't think any of the enforcement actions have ever, I mean, now that I'm on the other side, I get a much clearer picture of how hard it is to comply with some of the requests, how difficult it is to, to you know, meet some of the expectations that are set in Washington um, outside of the context of what actually, how things actually work. Um, so and you I'm, could say that what you just said, how it works in Washington outside the rest of the country, I mean, we could apply that to Let's be honest, every industry, including who wears suits or not. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree. It's the only place in the world, literally in the world, that I go and I wear a suit, too. Because it all makes us seem like we're the same. According to you, Alex. <laughs> that is, that is, that is one of the most tenuous theories I've ever, ever heard yeah. promoted. That's uh yeah, that was interesting. But but um it, it's funny because we keep I keep giving Rob all this credit. Rami, during the same time you built or helped build a very successful um uh neobank in, in moving in in NYC. So what was your experience with, with this level of regulation that was coming out and trying to build a, a, a challenge? A, a, Let's be honest. I mean, even was a very new concept. It not simple when it came out. Yeah, I think I think for us, we, you know, Movin's goal was to help people uh, understand their financial health. Right, we were probably one of the first to pioneer financial wellness and that that concept. And so uh, that obviously aligns very well with the mission of the CFPB. Right, they want to make sure people understand at, at their core understand what they're getting when it comes to financial products. I don't think the mission is to make as many regulations that are onerous as possible. Like I'm pretty sure that. Wasn't <laughs> wasn't written on the wall. It's not in the window when you walk in now. <laughs> but I think the challenge we faced was, you know, as we started to expand our product set, we spent more and more of our limited startup time and limited startup resources on making sure that what we were building was compliant. And that's unfortunately not what you want to be doing as a, as a startup. So I think to the extent that, um, and, and this isn't necessarily just on the P- CFPB. This is more of a general yeah, regulation kind of comment. Then. To the extent that we can help startups with that effort, then it will make everything work better, right? Make sure they're compliant, make sure the customers are taken care of, and we foster and accelerate that innovation, which is really, at the end, what we want, I think. It'd be really cool to see a CFPB at a sandbox, like maybe literal, 
Well, like, you know, I mean, other countries they, have like it. literally, well, I mean, Singapore has, Singapore has doing it. it, Dubai right? has it. I, yeah. I know it's, it, it would be fantastic, but I mean, why not, why not outsource? This sounds really kind of crazy because it may not work in practice, but outsource sort of the regulatory compliance. Say, I want to accomplish this. And CFPB says, this is how you do it, yeah. you know, and actually design it for you um, in a way that doesn't kill the innovate, in, innovative aspect of it. Yeah. I mean, everything we're talking about, which is interesting when we talk about the CFPB, I know in Europe, um, in the UK, where I used to live, and in Europe, they're like, I don't understand what the issue is. <laughs> I've, again, I worked over there. I was working for TSIS at the time. I understand you know, the role government plays in the regulatory side. And yet, if I look at the UK, uh, how many banking licenses in the past two years, right? Starling, um, uh, Tandem, yeah. Adam. Yeah. I mean, the innovation that's happening specifically in the UK and the adoption of fintech solutions. And not only that, I mean, the government supporting companies like uh, Funding Circle. Yeah. Um, Small business lender. I mean, literally promoting the heck out of them in order to get more capital to uh, small businesses in the UK. Very, very good. So what's the difference? Is it the politics? Well, so, the, so they've tried, you know, the Bureau has put its toe in the water with the no action letter um, that is issued last month, right? So it issued a no action letter to a company that was using, you know, what I think some folks would call fairly controversial educational data. I mean, it's not, the data itself is not controversial, but the use of such data has in, in past years been a big issue. Um, and, the, and the Bureau issued a letter saying, we don't intend to bring an enforcement action against you. Now, that sounds like very little, but I have to tell you that it's a huge, for the Bureau, it's a, it's a huge deal. It's a golden ticket. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> it can be canceled at any time, and it's not actually binding on anyone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the things for, uh, for us, so if it's hard for us to go face-to-face with the regulator, it's also hard for regulators to go face-to-face with the public. And it's such a politicized environment that it makes it, it makes it hard for them. We want common sense regulations, and I do believe it's swung too far in one direction, but we need to do a better job of minding our own shops and doing a better job of thinking about the end, the end mission. You know, we're, we're sitting here a few weeks after the Equifax breach. And, you know, so on one hand, we're going to talk about how the regulations are too onerous, but we had most people in the country have their data breached. And whether or not there's a direct connection doesn't matter to the public. And that's part of the problem. It's hyper-political. And uh, we need to stop, in my view, we need to stop thinking about what we're allowed to do or not allowed to do from the regulators. And we need to just step back and say, what's the objective? What's the right thing? What's the fair thing? And if you follow right and fair, we'll, we'll get into the right spot. But it, but it, it's really tough. It's really political and it's really, really adversarial right now. I was, I was on stage at Cybos as part of the Inner Tribe, as part of Cybos. I really enjoy the big banking conference up in Toronto. And, you know, I talked a lot, I was talking a lot about um, the changes we're going to see, especially with APIs and opening up the customer data and you look what's happening in Europe, right, and coming this way. And Rob suddenly got excited because I said API and he's like, I did that years ago. <laughs> but, um, and I was giving a speech about, guys, you're going to have to open up the gates, right? It's coming. Just, yeah. you know, it's coming. Yeah. And uh, somebody asked me a question. They said, do you really think um, that's that's a great idea, right, to kind of open those walls up? And, and I went right there, right? I said, all right. So, and I couldn't help myself. But I went on a mini rant. I said, all right, we just came out of the Equifax speech, right? Which will be investigated to some degree with some of the stock shares that were sold by the SEC. Oh, God damn, they got breached, right? They actually, a, I think, they well, I think they actually resolved that. They're, they they found no uh, no evidence. The no internal evidence. audit resolved that? Their internal audit resolved that? <laughs> was, was that by Deloitte? Um, sorry, Deloitte, you got hacked. Um, it's just saying... And no, we're not editing that out because it made me laugh. But you know what I mean? I, I, Wait, I they're agree. not a sponsor, are they? Um, God, 
uh, not anymore. If you are, not anymore. Take them off. Guess what? They're not going to be a sponsor. Note to sales: take them off the list. I think Deloitte is a fantastic organization. Has done a great job in what they've done. But however, right? I mean, I, I worked at Tesis for years, right? Our, our, we had two things we were terrified of: downtime, the data center going down, and a breach. Terrified of that. And in this day and age. The breach, I mean, the breach is going to happen, right? I mean, that's that's life. It's how quickly can you get there and how quickly can you stem and deal with it? It's uh, it, it used to be my father. My father is a retired, unfortunately, because he's 90, uh, OBGYN. Um, so <laughs> it has this for a segue. But, you yeah, know, he used to say no, there, no are two, there are two types of doctors, right? Those um, who have been sued and those that will be sued. You know, so, you know, you can look at the the world of data breaches the same way, you know, those that have been breached and those that will be breached. Right. I mean, I remember after the Equifax breach, um, we got an inbound from a from a uh, well-known uh, publication. And they said, well, you know, how are you guys reacting to this as people apply? I go, we've always assumed that all the data we get is compromised. <laughs> you know, if you yeah. if you always go with that assumption. Then you then you handle in a totally different way, you, and I think that's the that's the real world right now. Is you have to assume that the information you're getting is compromised, so you're going to have to figure out other ways to uh, validate it. Absolutely, I mean we we face that at moving just and obviously a different scale, but opening consumer accounts. Right, we yeah. we built our own in-house augmented KYC basically because we knew that 90% of the data was probably out there with somebody, and let alone now when it's like 100%. Like, we got that last 10%. Yeah, but well, only 143 million in the U.S. Oh, wait, wait, they found more. <laughs> what I don't understand is, like, what, you know, of all the things that gets regulated or, or, or talked about regulated, like, at no point is identity ever on there. Right? Oh, that's a massive topic, isn't it? Where, you know, you look at India, you look at some other countries where, you know, even Estonia, they've got digital identities, and they're like, it's just the way that they their things are going, and and that has to be a government pushed thing, in my opinion. Why can't a system that was designed in the 1930s still work today? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, it's but that's the thing. It's like the ones like, oh no, well it's a private enterprise company, you know, country. Like some company has to build this. Like no, no, it doesn't have to work that way. Um, you know, I, that's what I would love to see come out of this, if anything, because then you take off a lot of the the challenges that we face when you're onboarding new customers, when you're just moving customers from, from whatever they're on to your company, right? And that's... But, but we forget that the federal government, I mean, in the last two years, had massive breaches, of which I was a victim, you know, several times. Me too. They were just updating the records at that point, you know, so... Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know that... I mean, I think part of the reluctance is they've been struggling to get it right themselves. No, no, totally. But I think, you know, you look at kind of the problem with the SSN is it's, you know, it's the password and the username yeah. in one, right? So it's just a broken system inherently. My, the my favorite tweet of all time was right after the, the big breach. This your own tweet? Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> Are we self-promoting? Self <laughs> yeah. uh, this at, small at, uh, at guy. Sam he, uh, <laughs> um, no, it wasn't by me. It was actually from Diana Biggs over in the UK. Right after the uh, Experian breach, she went, ah, damn, I got to change my social and mother's maiden name again. That made me laugh. <laughs> yeah, that's, really that's funny. the truth, right? I mean, it's just the stupidity... <laughs> Of the system, and so and Alex, I don't mean this. Um, it, I don't. I don't mean this as being um, sarcastic or anything. No, don't be worried. I think this is, and, and this is for everyone here. Um, again, we're almost to 2018, so we're 10 years on. Um, are we any better off from a financial system outside of the stress tests? Right outside of that, are we better off? Are the well? I guess we. I should. I should frame that better. Are consumers better off? Here's what I would say: if if the CFPB shut down tomorrow, 
let's say, you know, somebody comes in and they say, everybody go home. Um, what will be left is its imprint on the state regulatory system, right? And which will, I think, live forevermore. Um, we have seen state AGs really, really pay attention to consumer issues um, just in the last, you know, five, seven years. Now, whether that happened because of the Bureau or whether, you know, it was coming anyway, who knows? But I do think that if, even if the federal government, sh you know, the CFP were, were to shut down tomorrow, companies like the ones at the stable, like all of my clients, would still have the incentive to do the right thing by consumers. And I think that's a good thing. I, I can tell you when I go see clients today, usually when I meet with the CEOs, one of the first things they will tell me is, I just want to do what's right. I want to do the right thing by consumers. Now, if it also keeps me out of trouble, that'd be excellent. You know, but I, I think that shift in thinking is is going to be part of its legacy. Yeah, it, it's it's a shift in mindset too. So we're having this conversation ten years ago we wouldn't have, um, and at banks and financial institutions across the country they're having a conversation that they otherwise wouldn't have. So are we better? Somewhat. Was it an expensive way to get there? Yeah, it was probably an expensive. Do I love that? You know, you try to get a home equity and it takes you two months because you have you know unbelievable piles of paperwork to go through. Probably not the most efficient way to protect a consumer. Um, but I go back to if we do the right thing, doing the right thing cuts through a lot of that. And and for a while leading up to the crisis, there was too much of not doing the right thing and too much of um, blind ignorance. So I'm I'm curious, Rob, because I go yeah. back to I, I love read about cabbage. Um, in the in the early days, right, um, and even earlier when he was a DJ, as we learned on break, and, and uh, we're gonna find. I'm gonna call your wife and tell her I'm from Honeyfy, and then, and then say, "Can I have some of those? Uh, can I have some of those tapes?" Um, so, way back when, right, so, and the same with what you did at, at Moving Rummy, right? Well, that that concept of utilizing APIs to to build one heck of a great product set, right, and and taking the best in breed that's out there and, and bringing them on. So we got PSD2 that at some level is going to, at some level, I'm going to ask the table, I'll ask y'all, do you believe we're going to get some version of PSD2 here in the U.S.? Um, yeah, look, I, I actually do think um, we're going to get a version and, and payment service directive for those that are not familiar, the the ability for uh, the, the requirement really that banks provide open access to their data for third parties who want to leverage those services on behalf of the the customers. And I think that's, uh, for us, we're, we're huge fans of that. Maybe a little less so the CFDR and, and broader yeah, broader context, right? yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think we're going to get there. And 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 look, the the whole group that that we formed, the CFDR group, um, I, I meant GDPR um, before as far as PSD too. So sorry, got all my four letter acronyms um, a little mixed up here. But um, the CFDR is really focused on making sure that. Um, you know, effectively, PSD two happens here in the U.S. Um, we have a, you know, we have a real concern about banks sort of dictating um, the the technologies that will be utilized to be able to provide access to to data uh, here in the U.S. Um, and you doing it under the guise of security concerns. Um, and so, um, we think we're going to get it. Well, we want to make sure that you know it's a um, it's it's really driven by principles. As opposed to specific technical requirements, um, and uh, and so we're we're pretty focused on thinking through that. So, Rami, you got to be a big fan, I would think, right? You're hoping that this comes across because it's it's the ability to get your hands in, in a good way, a hands on that that level of data, right? To to make your product that much better. Absolutely. I mean, for us, it'd be a, a game changer in a good way, right? And I think. 
the banks ultimately would want something like this from a from a security perspective. Even if they're using it as a as a card to play in the negotiation, I think ultimately they don't want to be screen scraped. They don't want to have you know different connections. No, I, I, the the whole concept of screen scraping makes my head hurt just because of previous life and being a product owner and going down that totally. But I think also from you know, and we definitely don't want it. But also from a consumer perspective, right? You want to know that you're signing up for a service that your bank has created a way securely for them to connect to, right? You know, because you're going to feel much more confident in this startup that, of course, you know about HoneyFi. That's amazing. HoneyFi.com. Amazing. But, you know, Rob that you, what, is, what is what is fan. that? Uh, what is that again? <laughs> it's what's it? HoneyFi.com. No. Okay, Fi um, Fi. All right, great. <laughs> but you know, it, honestly, in, you know what I'd see as this becomes more and more the norm, then we'd see much more innovation, right? Which, of course, means some competition for us, right? It gets easier, but it would make our lives so much easier and customers' lives so much easier. You well, know? And to me, the, the huge problem, I mean, obviously that's a huge promise, but the really sort of overlooked promise is the idea of using this data to score and underwrite folks who were not going to get loans otherwise, right? Who have no FICO scores, who are recent immigrants, who are you know, new to the credit market, this data could actually open up um, a floodgate of totally credit-worthy people who just don't fit the regular, you know, measures. And I think that's that's a huge promise. Not, I mean, and it's not just for fintechs. I mean, banks want those folks too, you know? It's sort of yeah, yeah. getting getting at a market that, like, could be a great credit risk, but just has never had a chance to show it. I think it's going to be a huge part of that. I think that's a huge issue. I mean, we can look at this globally. We can talk about wealth distribution, right? Um, and the disappearance of the middle class. But the that 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 entire concept, right, of bringing the unbanked or underserved more and more into the space. Um, you know, I, I I personally, as a father of four and a grandfather of one, I love you, Grace. Um, I, I I want to see these but types you look of so products. Young. Oh God, Rob is my favorite founder ever. Cabbage guys, just beautiful product. Um, and and that, that's that's for me. I look back ten years, right? So I'll go back to two thousand eight. I want to look forward. 10 years and say, what is the environment going to be like here in the U.S.? Um, I think going forward 10 years is impossible, personally. I hate when people do that. What's it going to be like in 10 years? Um, maybe two might be interesting. And that's going to be the challenge because that's what I want to throw out. And that's what I want to close with. Looking at our current environment, both politically, from a regulation standpoint, from what we're seeing come across the massive change that's happening in Asia, right? I mean, we, we didn't even touch on China and we could just have a field day there. But what we're seeing work its way um, coming over to the U.S., what do you see the environment like, say, two to three years from now? And actually, I think where it would be an interesting place to start is with you, Matt, because you're in a new it, – yeah. it's really a new area. Yeah, yeah. Solar finance is, is relatively new the last seven or eight years. Um, I think what's going to be interesting over the next two, five, whatever, ten years um, is, is what happens with the credit cycle and how do all of these young companies deal with it? And so we're in the, the best credit cycle any of us have ever lived through, any of our parents or grandparents have ever lived through. It's been really good, and it's been really good for the last seven years or so, seven, eight years. And so we have these companies that are three, four, five years old that are all hitting adolescence and think they've seen it all because they've seen you know three years of data, and it's going to change. And it'll be really interesting to see those that really understand consumer lending and how they adapt in a changing credit cycle and a changing rate environment. And uh, it, it should be interesting. I think we will see separation of companies that are, um, that are thoughtful and those that were kind of chasing, uh, chasing a wave. 
If only we had somebody on this podcast who has like some kind of background in lending and because hey, hey, Rob, how you doing? <clears throat> well, yeah, no, I'm Let's fine. Talk. But I, I tell you, we suffer from the same um, accusation um, as well about not, you know, having gone through a credit cycle. I'm like, yeah, but all my guys who focus on that have, so we know about well, that's that. A good point. You know, yeah. I mean, it's not, you know, not and, and look, I, you know, there's there's lots of answers, and I actually think data is the is the great equalizer out there. We talked a lot about data during this podcast, but um, ubiquitous access to data provides many, many things. One is it hopefully provides you with early indicators. If you have, and, and one of the, I mean, the lifeblood of cabbage is ongoing persistent access to data. So hopefully you see things. There's not, let me tell you, small business owners we serve, they're not the folks who are buying the, you know, latest Tesla and the, you know, and the big fancy house and going on the big trips. These are folks who are, you know, basically running the, the lifeblood of the economy, the dry cleaners, the restaurants, the, the folks, you know, mowing the yards and doing all of that kind of hard work. Um, and try to put food on the table and take care of their kids and buy books and you know live a live a live a you know live a great life and um, and so we have hardship in our audience at any given time it might not be ninety percent of the audience but ten or twenty percent and we've gotten really good at understanding how those businesses um, are performing at any given time and so our system should self correct um, and I think that's the key so I think data is the key you ask for two to three years from now I think it's the key to to not only surviving but thriving during the credit cycle that we're that we're definitely going to go. I've been predicting is eighteen months away for now for the last three or four years. Um, that's number one. Number two, you'll be right. I'm going to eventually be right. <laughs> Even a broken clock is right twice a day. They say right. So so there's that piece. I also think it's the it's the it's the key to what I call um, scaled hyper personalization. Right. We, I, you know, and, and so data allows us to understand you on the same level that you used to be understood 100 years ago when you walked into the corner shop and they and they knew you. And so, uh, you know, I am just data, data, data. And the more ubiquitous access we have to data, the, the better we're going to be through a credit cycle, the better we're going to be in, in terms of serving uh, companies in ways. And by the way, on a regulatory side, it's going to be a great equalizer there as well, because you've got all these great fintechs who want to do right by the customer. And they're forcing the big players to be more transparent with information, be more transparent with, you know, pricing and, and terms and, you know, customer service and all of these things. So anyway, that's my crystal ball. Sorry for the long-winded no, you're answer. Because I already know what Rami's going to say. He's going to be, Honeyfi is a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. He has paid me so much money to be on this show and to hype it out. And get our ICO. Yeah, um, exactly. Oh, God. <laughs> leave now. God. Yeah, wow, that's bold. I think I, I don't know, I'll just make two points. One, I think, is uh, to, to follow up on, on Rob's point around the hyper-customization. I think you're going to see a lot more services that are geared towards certain customer groups. Um, and, you know, Obviously, it's a bit self-serving, but I think those banks that enable themselves to um, partner with companies that are serving those needs are going to be much better uh, positioned long term, and part of that is open APIs, and and part of that is just being open to those partnerships. I think the other thing, just on a pure consumer sense, I think when we hit the other end of this credit cycle, you're going to see a lot of these big companies hit rough times, and unfortunately, that comes with a lot of of job shedding. You know, Charlotte just lived through that in 08. It looked a lot like it does now. There were a lot of cranes building, a lot of high-rise buildings. It's not on this side, of, the, but on the other side. And when the, when the crash hit, 
a lot of that construction stopped um, and a lot of people lost their jobs. And you see a lot of people who are, are desperate and are looking for ways to, to support their families. And you see, um, one, a lot of different needs from a credit perspective, but two, a lot of people starting up their own things um, and, and trying to solve their personal financial situation by starting their own companies, whether they be dry cleaners or whether they're startups, right? So I think it's really interesting to see what comes out of that, just like we saw in 08. Uh, you know, I, I lived through that, meaning I, I moved to the UK in 2006. I came back toward the back end of 210. So when I left, and I was in Atlanta, I left Atlanta, came back to Atlanta. And when I left Atlanta, it, you're right, it, the boom was going on. When I came back, the executive rental properties I could get my hands on for nothing, <laughs> by the way, Rob, yeah. um, out in Alpharetta and, you know, and then in, in that side, it was shocking um, what I saw. And then, by the way, the UK got slammed through that and kind of lived through that. So, all right, Alex, you're going to get the last word on this. And it's interesting from your perspective, right? Because you're in the private sector. Now. I am. Mm -hmm. So coming from, you know, one side of the table to the other, if you're to look out two to three years from now. So, so here's what I'm finding now, and I think it's going to just become much more prevalent, which is when I talk to regulators about things that don't make sense for my clients, they no longer say, I don't care. Like, that's a law. They say, come in and talk to us. We want to understand why it doesn't work. We want to figure out what it is in the market. We want to work with other regulators. I think we're going to see more consolidation and more, I don't want to say regulation as a service, but you know. <laughs> you can wow. say that. Go there. Wow. But much more understanding that you either, you know, help people follow the law or people find a way around it. And I think much more, many more regulators will say, come in, let's talk, let's coordinate, let's be on panels together, let's be on, you know, workshops together. And I think that's going to, that's, I think it's going to really help consumers in the end. I think, in the, you know, the easier you make you make it to do the right thing, the better it is going to be for everyone. And I think we're seeing that today, and we're going to see it much more in the next two or three years. And Rob, but you actually touched on that, right? When we talked about the CFPB and yeah. and the the way I went through this um, around, you know, 2010 when prepaid was, you know, a, a four-letter word, right? And it was the idea of going in and Rob rolled his eyes, which means it still is. Um but I, I, I was part of the team from Thesis, right, where we went in and, and worked to try to educate. We're doing the same thing now. Don't you think that just has to be a massive part of this is continually from, from the tech community? You can look at solar, right? You can look at what you're doing with HoneyFi, yet another shout out. But to work with the regulators and Shameless educate. promoter. Shameless. If you know. he hits 10, he gets an extra bump. <laughs> Honeyfly. I get I get bumped to first class in the flight. Um, but, but that idea of educating Washington, putting the damn suit on, Rob, as much as you hate doing it, but going to D.C. and educating. And no, no, I think so. I look, I mean, it, you know, nothing works in a silo. Um, I think we've learned that whether you're in a corporate environment, you're in a you know global environment, a regulatory environment, you've got to got to communicate. Communication is the number one challenge we all have in our personal lives and our professional lives. And, you know, communication is going to solve that. So where's the best place? We're going to wrap up now. So um, we're going to start with Rami. Best place for the listeners to learn about HoneyFi. Thanks for asking. Um, What's the name of the company? One more time. HoneyFi. Excellent. Where's the best place to learn? Uh, just go to HoneyFi.com or the app stores. So that was just for Rob's wife. Rob with Cabbage? Rob with Cabbage. Uh, Cabbage.com with, with a K. With a, yeah, so very important. important. K-A-B-B-A-G-E.com. The vegetable you'll love. 
<laughs> is that literally the tagline? No, no, yeah, no. That one got voted. That, that one got voted down. Yeah, we tried to make our tagline "Couples Finance is Sweeter," and then that uh, got yeah. voted yeah, down. Yeah, so. you, get, you get very corny when you do that stuff. Yeah, and ironically, it was our our wives that. I'm telling you. Oh no, that's not ironic whatsoever. Yeah, my wife corrects everything I do, and she's always right. Matt, you can uh, check out Sunlight at sunlightfinancial.com and learn more about uh, going solar and saving money. And for those that really need advice on on walking and working with compliance folks, McGuireWoods.com. I'm on the website. There you go. <laughs> Everybody, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Rob, send me the dry cleaning bill. We'll, we'll fix it. All right. Uh, don't worry. I don't even see it anymore. It's gone now. It's blended in. It's gone. It's, it's been absorbed through my skin. <laughs> Excellent. Well, enjoyed the time with each of you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Time.